This is Jarvis Leatherby from the heavy metal band Night Demon, and you're listening to Thunder Underground. Keep it heavy. Welcome to episode 380 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week we've got a great one because Jarvis Leatherby of Night Demon is returning to the podcast. This will be his fourth time on this show. First three times featured the full band of Night Demon, so this is cool to get a full interview here with Jarvis. We talk for well over an hour about everything Night Demon has going on and everything Jarvis has going on in the music world outside of Night Demon as well. So before we jump into this great interview here with Jarvis, we're going to play some music. But first, I need to let you know who we're sponsored by. That would be Sunset Tattoo, located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. And yes, they are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience from Jake and his crew over there at Sunset Tattoo. They specialize in all different types of styles. If you want to get on the socials, Facebook and Instagram both are Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. You can see tons of photos there. I've had work done by Jake and I'm extremely happy with it. I know other people that have as well that are very happy. And you can be happy too. So if you call or message ahead of time, you can set up a time to go in there and talk about what work you're looking to have done. They also accept walk-ins. So swing by, tell them you heard about them on Thunder Underground. We've also got DEB Concerts, concert promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they've been bringing tons of great acts to the Tulsa area for several years now. Stuff that I don't think would have been booked in Tulsa if it wasn't for DEB Concerts like Saxon or Last in Line. Bisto Blanco, Steelheart. We've also brought in other names like Lita Ford and Great White, Warrant, Buck Cherry. The list is great and long. And they started booking arena acts at the BOK Center like Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Megadeth, Lame of God, Poison, Tom Kiefer. That list is ever growing. And they book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every single year. This year is no exception. And the Roadhouse stage will feature. The pre-party, as it does every year at Rocklahoma, the Thursday night pre-party will feature both Warrant and L.A. Guns on the Roadhouse stage. The Roadhouse stage headliners on the other three nights will be Skid Row, Buckcherry, and Kicks. Kicks recently announced that they are hanging it up, playing their final show in Baltimore this fall. So this show at Rocklahoma from Kicks will be one of their final performances. And I can't stress enough that this is one of the best live bands you will ever see. So do not miss that. DEBconcerts.com to be kept up to date. We also keep you up to date here, of course. Rocklahoma.com for the tickets on all that as well. Hit them up on the socials as well. Facebook, Twitter is both at DEBconcerts. All right, like I said at the get-go here, we want to play some music. I'm going to play a band now that is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, as I tend to do a lot of times. You know, here throughout the years of this podcast, Jason and I have played music from all over the world, you know, all over this country, bands from Europe, Sweden, all over the place. The point is, it always comes back to Tulsa because that's where I'm based and always like to shine light on the Oklahoma area artist. And this is a newer band, and when I say newer... I would think relatively new. I don't know exactly when they formed, but let me tell you, the four members of this band are aged 12, 13, 14, and 17. If I'm going by, I'm going off of a memory on that. I haven't looked that up in a 
few days. So if I said that wrong to the guys in She Hates Me Not, I apologize. But yeah, there you go. The band I'm speaking of is She Hates Me Not. Four teenagers out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, playing some heavy metal. So let's just jump into it. Here's their debut single called Death Wish. Wish, the brand new single, the debut single from She Hates Me Not. That song just came out here a little about three weeks ago, towards the end of June. So get on the socials and follow She Hates Me Not on Facebook. They're also on Instagram at She Hates Me Not Official. Give these guys a follow so you can be kept up to date on as new music drops. They said they've got another single coming here in the very near future. They're also working on an album, I believe. And I'm working on 
trying to get these guys on the podcast. So hopefully you hear that here in the next coming weeks as well. So she hates me not. Give these guys a follow. We do this podcast. You listen to podcasts. We do whatever. We love music because we've loved it since we were kids. You know, 99.9% of the time, right? I'm sure there's someone in this world that started liking the music when they were 31. I don't know, but most of us start enjoying music when we're young. So to see four young kids playing music that a lot of us, you know, that like metal that have been around quite a while, grew up on, this could just go right in with the stuff that I was listening to in the 80s and 90s. And so I'm really excited to see what these guys do and where they go from here because, you know, the whole world's in front of them right now when it comes to music. Plus, on top of all that, I forgot to mention, this Thursday night, if you're in the Tulsa area, July 20th, at the Venue Shrine, She Hates Me Not will be opening up for Radkey. If you have not heard Radkey or if you have not seen Radkey live, you are missing out. So if you're anywhere near the Tulsa area, check out that show at the Venue Shrine on Thursday night, July 20th. She Hates Me Not, live on stage. Alright, so Night Demon, Jarvis Leatherby. Let's just jump into this because, like I said, this is a lengthy interview. The history of Night Demon with this podcast goes back nearly to the beginning. I mean, this is now the eighth year of this podcast. We celebrated the eighth anniversary not that long ago. Actually, it was on the episode I did with Dime Store Riot, a brand new band out of Tulsa. The eighth anniversary was back in May. I believe it was 20... Well, 2015 is when we started. I believe 2017 was our first episode with Night Demon. They came into Tulsa, and they played at the Sound Pony in downtown Tulsa. They were booked there by Mitchell Gilliam of Blind Oath, who, as you'll hear later in this interview, Jarvis brings up last week on the episode that I did with Jason, where Jason came back and we just talked about a lot of new music and stuff. Jason brought up Blind Oath as well. And hey, we brought him up many times throughout the years in this podcast. But a big thank you to Mitchell Gilliam for starting Night Demon's, um, what's the right word? Journey through Tulsa, because they seem to have made Tulsa one of their definite stops now, anytime that they're touring in America, or in the Midwest at least. And the history of Night Demon and how we, you know, kind of got linked up with them is a little bit different than a lot of artists, because a lot of bands that will either come through or that we'll have on Zoom, of course, like you do as a person doing this kind of stuff. You go through a publicist or a management or whatever. But with Night Demon, Jason, who was the former co-host of this podcast with me, his cousin, Justin Poole, has a YouTube show that is very successful called Egotastic Fun Time and Talking the Orville, where he's been doing that YouTube stuff now for several years. But the point I bring him up is because Justin actually grew up with the guys in Night Demon, or at least two of them, Jarvis and Armand. So he mentioned to us, he's like, you got to check these guys out. They're coming to Tulsa. So we did, and it was fucking fantastic. This was actually, they came the first time, and then the second time they came to Sound Pony. I don't remember, I think that first one would have been in 2016. So then in 2017, the second time they came to Sound Pony, we sat down with all three of them, and did an interview. 
And then the next time they came back, I believe it was 2018, and they played the Vanguard. That first one... Yeah, like I said, the first one was a sound, sound Pony. So when they came back and they played the Vanguard, we sat down with them at the Saturn Room at Tiki Bar in downtown Tulsa, which I haven't even been down there in quite a while. I'm not sure if that's still there or not, but it was a cool place, and Jarvis brings that up as well. And then we saw them again in between there when they returned with Anvil, and Anvil came to Oklahoma City. And we interviewed Lips from Anvil on that episode, and that was quite an interesting episode. Me and Jason had talked about that one a few times throughout the years since different times, because it was just quite interesting. Lips is just one of those guys that just seems to hold on to a lot of negativity, you know, but we all already knew that, right? We've seen the documentary, but anyway, the point being is we saw Night Demon again there, hung out with him. We even went to dinner with him that night, which was pretty cool, and then... Fast forward to, I believe, the next year, probably 2019, right before the pandemic, Night Demon was on here again when they came back and played, I believe it was the Vanguard again, but I was actually out of town working at this point, and Jason brought in Justin again, brought in Justin Poole, JP, and had him co-host episode with him, and they interviewed Night Demon then, so that was the three times that they've been on here previously. So it's long overdue to get someone from Night Demon back on here. And they came to Tulsa recently, at the beginning of April. Actually, it was April 1st. And they played the Two Minutes to Tulsa event there at the Canes Barroom that I talked about a few episodes ago, it was, I believe. That show also featured Haunt, who Trevor from Haunt has been on here a couple times. Featured Satan, Exciter, Vicious Rumors, Sadistic Force, Night Cobra. Great show. I got a chance to Talked to Jarvis there for a few minutes, and we said, hey, we really need to do another podcast, which is where we are now. We got on Zoom, sat there and talked about Night Demon's new album, Outsider, which if you have not heard, is one of the best metal albums of 2023. I'm not just saying that because we're recording this episode right now, I'm just saying it because it's the, it's the truth. I mean, that this album is a banger, and... You need to check this out. We go into some talk about some songs on this album, how this album came together. We talk about the change in drummers. Like I said, those first three episodes featured the entire band, which featured Dusty Squires. Dusty has since left the band, but it actually wasn't that long ago. Jarvis goes into detail about all of that. Also talks about what he's doing outside of Night Demon, which he's managing bands now. Satan being one of those bands. Visigoth, Midnight. I know there's a few others. This man's got his hands in all kinds of stuff. So rather than me just sit here and ramble about it, let's jump into it. Here's Jarvis Leatherby of Night Demon. So what is it that brought you to Ireland? Um, my girlfriend lives here. So I've been kind of living here half the year since 2020. Um, oh. It's fucking awesome. 
it's really cool and like since we do a lot of stuff in europe it kind of helps financially like not sending the whole band back to the states every week or two you know right just come back and do festivals and stuff in the summer you know so no nah, it's pretty sweet man had you uh well i assume you had been there on tour before had you spent much time there before you ended up moving we- over we had we had come here twice before um but since i've been here we've done a lot more we just wrapped up a uh an ireland tour after we got back from japan so um yeah there's a, like a good good thing going out here for us right now and logistically it's great because i'm kind of local you know oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you got some better beer over there probably <laughs> I mean, dude, I'm like, I'm like a, addicted to Guinness, you know, <laughs> on, on draft. I mean, that's kind of like, there's this, like, I don't know why, but I, I heard it all the time growing up in the States and like, I still hear it back home. People think like the beer out here, like in England and in Ireland, like it's warm, it's like it's not it's like it's colder here than back home you know but um yeah they know how to do it here with that and so i could knock them down (laughs) (laughs) so i wonder where that uh misconception comes from is there just i wonder if there's just a certain type of beer that was warm or something i have no idea i know in germany i know like in germany like the the beer is usually not as cold and people just drink them kind of like non-refrigerated you know which i hate yeah um and i don't really care too much for the german beer the germans love it though it's like they always ask you know how's the beer have you tried the beer you know (laughs) but in like town town thinks they have the best beer you know but it's like man when you go to places like belgium and stuff too it's like wow the beer is incredible you know so and now you know in the states right like there's there's so much beer now right like so many especially in California where we're from. And even like, you know, every time I come to Tulsa where you're at, like there's just a ton of breweries, you know, and everybody's all about the beer. Yeah. It kind of exploded here in the past five to 10 years, as far as all the breweries and everything. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, yeah, speaking of Tulsa, last time I got a chance to talk to you for a minute was at the two minutes to Tulsa event in early April when you guys were on tour with Hot and Satan. Like, right. How was that whole, how'd that whole tour end up going for you? I know you had some bus, some bus issues right before you got to us, I think. (laughs) You you know what? Like they say more money, more problems, right? Like it's (laughs) so true. You know, like I, not that I'm like, like, um, you know, financially rich by any means, like, you know, but you, you know, we've come a long way from being sardined in a van with no trailer kind of thing you know and so um yeah we decided to you know since this was going to be a ten thousand mile trip this tour and it was going to be a month long we were kind of thinking and you know it might be it might be easier more comfortable and a way to keep our sanity and logistically just better for satan and night demon to share like a full-on legit tour bus together pulling a trailer you know and bringing one back line and you know everybody has their own bunk and you know it's like uh we have a driver all this stuff um and yeah you know in theory it was great but it's like you know we had 
some logistical issues with the bus and like um we thankfully we never broke down but like we were going through some crazy weather because we were traveling the whole country right and like that's a weird time of year that kind of like um mid to late spring right yeah. where it's like you can be in places like tulsa or texas and you know you could potentially be pretty pretty hot but the day before or two days before you know you're like in denver or you're in des moines or something and it's like snowing right so um we had an issue where so that the bus the the bus rides on these airbags and that's kind of like the suspension right yeah. So we had some, it's kind of like, so you have that kind of floating boat kind of motion when you drive, right? Instead of, because I mean, that's a lot of vehicle. It's 45 feet long and I don't know how many times, right? But um, it's basically like, we without those airbags, I mean, it's a rough fucking ride. So like we, we had some issues where sometimes it got too cold, like when crossing the Rockies and stuff and the lines that went to the airbag froze for some reason and so had no suspension. So, I mean, we're just, we're just, there's people falling out of their bunks and stuff. (laughs) Farther back you are in the vehicle, right? The crazier it is. So yeah, we had some issues, but you know, overall it it worked out. We made every gig, right. You know, that's what matters. Yeah. We know it was cool. It was a great experience. It was a really good tour. The turnouts were way better than i expected to be honest with you um not that i was expecting anything low but it's just a weird time in the world right now and like especially for music they're just it's before the pandemic there were so many mid-level bands retiring a lot of them you know yeah or just doing exclusive stuff like a festival here and there and then after the pandemic like not only did those bands not want to retire anymore you had bands coming out of retirement you know, and you had new bands that formed during the pandemic. So like the market since like late 2022 has been extremely flooded. And so you're competing against a lot lot of other things. And, you know, you can't, I mean, I don't know, there's exceptions, guys like me and you that probably would go to a show five nights a week, you know, if it it was awesome. Right. But not, not everybody's like that. Right. so the, these days you have to do something like this. Like you have to put together like a package that's undeniable. And a lot of times you can do it with two bands, but when you could do it with at least three, maybe four, then that's the kind of thing that re- really helps out a lot these days. Because when you tour for that long, you're always going to have like these cool anchor dates on Fridays and Saturdays. Like, for example, when we saw you, you know, we played a full a festival in Tulsa that they basically built around our tour, you know, yeah. which was was very fucking cool because otherwise we would have just we would have had to play there on a Wednesday night at the Vanguard or something like that. Right. So which is fine. But I know that shows on the on a Wednesday night at the Vanguard these this year, because I've had bands that I manage on tour out there, I see some pretty low turnouts you know that don't really reflect the popularity of the band it's just it's a wednesday night in a busy season so um that thing you got to think about on these longer tours is you have to play sunday through thursday somewhere right so 
when you can put together a strong package of bands like this, that's the kind of show that brings out the metalhead on any night of the week that's going like, look, I'm not going to like each of these bands can easily individually tour on their own than they have. And, but when they're together, it's like, okay, this is a show that I'm just going to have to go to. And it's not just because not just to see all the bands, but that's the kind of event where like, you know, all of your friends in that scene are going to be there too. So it's just a cool hang and it's a cool get together, you know? And that's what I've learned a lot from touring a lot is that it's about like the camaraderie of the audience that the audience actually has together, not always what they have with the band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the pandemic, that's one of those things I mean, everybody was talking about while it was going on that whenever it opened back up, you know, everybody was going to be ready to get back out, but then that didn't factor in the oversaturation of the market and then all the costs going up on everything. So then ticket price go up. So it's kind of, like you said, I can't imagine how hard it is now compared to maybe 2019. It's crazy, man. It's like, like inflation on all areas, you know? I mean, we've even raised our merch prices slightly and we didn't, you know, we haven't gotten one complaint about it. Thankfully, you know, I mean, if we did, we would probably make a deal or something, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah, that's just the way it goes, you know, but our, our thing is like, we can't charge $15 for a shirt anymore when a burrito is 12, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, like we, <laughs> we have to make a living doing this. Right. And so um yeah it's a tough game out there but you know what like when has it not been right like right. that's a, like when has it not been so you just got to get more creative and i'm up for the challenge whatever you know like you just got to make got to make do and you got to make you got to make some things happen you know well you yeah, guys put sure. out outsider about about three months ago and i mean you had the benefit of being out on tour while this album came out so like what kind of response were you hearing from fans out on the road yeah, it's crazy because we actually started the tour the day the album came out. So um, it was really positive and we weren't sure how the album was going to be received. I mean, obviously we were stoked on it, but, you know, every time we make a record, we try and go. We have a rule like not to repeat ourselves, you know, although some bands do it really well, like. It's just, I don't think it would be a good idea for, for us specifically to do that, you know? So this is like a full concept album and it, it's got a lot of like really heavy, but emotional moments and some kind of progressive elements too. And so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't quite sure how people were going to take it, but it was accepted much better than I thought. And, um, I really haven't heard many complaints about it. So, so that's a good thing. And, you know, I mean, we generally write short songs, so it's like, it's easy to play a good mix of old and new when we go out there, you know, but kind of like when you think of a band like us, like, you know, I guess kind of starting out as a total throwback band. I mean, we, if you listen to our first EP and then our, our first album, Curse of the Damned, and then our second album, Darkness Remains, I mean, we pretty much, in our minds, covered everything you can do in like an, an old school genre, right? And so we kind of 
you know, we're, we were heavily influenced by that stuff and we put our own spin on it. And now it's just kind of naturally involving, evolving into like, I guess who we are. So that's a really cool thing. And um, I'm looking forward to like taking that into the future when we make another, when we make another album and seeing what, what that's going to look like, you know, I have no idea now, but um, you know, it'll, it'll get there when the time comes, but yeah, all in all, it's been really good. And, we're going to be touring on this album through 2025. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up. When you guys were writing this, it wasn't kind of like a conscious effort to push it forward. It was, I mean, it just, you're saying it just kind of naturally happened. Kind of naturally happened, but I mean, there are always moments where like, you know, you bring in an idea to a song and we always have to put each other in check and go, wait a minute, we did that in another song you kind of get stuck in your ways of writing stuff and, and you have a style, but at the same time, it's the crazy thing is it's easier to plagiarize yourself than anybody else. Right. You know? Consciously you just kind of do. And it's like, you got to just get in the mode of, of, of changing that up. And it's, that's why it's always good to, to write songs with a band because you have other, other people there that are, that can, like you know step in and 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 notice things that you don't and it's also you know they're a part of the band so they're gonna they're definitely gonna notice that stuff more than anybody more than the casual listener actually so it's actually a a good good thing to have to have that kind of feedback because a lot of bands you know i mean people there's like one guy who writes everything you know so i mean i could say even with satan and with haunt like each of those bands there's one guy who writes everything you know and then just comes comes to the band with here here's the song and the lyrics and it's great stuff don't get me wrong but um i might not even be capable of doing that to be honest but (laughs) but uh but yeah i like i like the collective effort in anything really yeah yeah it gives you like just like you yeah remember when you used to have um uh two co-hosts yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i remember those days yeah <laughs> yeah it changes <laughs> yeah it's a totally different dynamic but yeah yeah. Like, yeah but it's cool man like it's good that you're carrying the torch you know you got to keep it going man you know like that's 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 how you got to do it you know yeah but um but yeah it's funny that's like uh um you know i'm the only original member in night demon so right. uh that's the band's better than ever and it's like a it's it's like a true band now you know like it's 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 never it's firing on all cylinders so i mean that's just how life goes you know you just gotta wade through it and find your people and you know still be cool with people you used to work with too you know i mean that's good because then you you know you leave the door open and you never know what's going to happen but yeah i remember back in the day we did interviews with you guys at at our hotel room or like going to the tiki bar and shit, you know, like, yeah, yeah. really fucking good times, man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was kind of daunting at first when I was doing it by myself and I had I actually had several people hit me up, you know, about coming on board as a co-host, but it just seemed easier to, you know, manage my own time since I'm out of town a lot. And now I'm kind yeah. of in the groove and used to doing it by myself. So it's not as bad as of a transition That's as I thought awesome. it'd be, but. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. Do it on your own terms. Yeah. Terms, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys, it was several years between full length albums. You know, was the idea to do 
the singles and EPs and the live album and everything? Or is that just kind of how it happened with pandemic and everything else going on? Well, with the live album, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, when we put out our first record, Curse of the Damned, we didn't think it would do as well as it did. So we toured for a long ass time on that, or so we thought, like two years. And then when Darkness Remains came out, that one was doing even better. And we were like, okay, let's make sure that we don't get ourselves into a position now where we just start cranking out album after album before people really can get a feel of what's happening here. Because, man, here's a crazy thing. Like, time passes really quickly. Yeah. When you, you know, like, when you really look back on your life, like, time really does pass quickly. But your body of work always remains. So um, we just said, look, (laughs) this may be a bad move career-wise now to wait to put out a full length, but let's look at it in a different way, you know, and let's see since, since things are increasingly getting better and better and we're picking up more fans and the fans that we have are, are sticking around, like, let's see what we can do with this stuff. Like we've got, you know, 25 songs or something like, in our catalog at that point. And it's like, let's just keep going and see how much we could tour on this record and how many times we can go around the world with this album and how many festivals we can get on and how many bands we can support on tour and how many countries we can go to places that we've never been. And um, that was, I guess, the reason for putting the live album out was kind of to extend that cycle. So we toured off that album until late 2019 and then the pandemic hit. However, we already had an idea in place. In 2018, we decided that in 2020, we were going to do seven-inch singles. Like, because we were writing some extra songs that didn't, they weren't really cohesive on an, on an album together, but they were like really cool on their own. And we thought they deserved their own artwork and all that stuff, right? So we pitched the label on the idea they weren't really keen to it at first. And then they kind of warmed up to it and said, because they kind of saw the way the industry was going, right. They're like, yeah, man, the full length album is kind of dying out. It's not really for metal, but it just in general kind of was right. You know, with streaming and all that. So, so they gave us the budget to go do what we wanted to do. And, and we just ended up like contacting like our dream list of engineers and producers. And a lot of them said, yeah, because it was basically like you know we worked with steve albini in chicago we worked with um matt hyde in la who did like slayer albums and stuff and we did we we went to denmark and recorded with fleming rasmussen you know who did like those middle three metallica records in the 80s yeah um it was like you know we, we would contact these people and go hey look we need like two days of your time and they'd be like oh that's it like yeah and we're ready and we're like here are the demos we're ready to go like let's just go in and do it and we want you to capture it you know and it was a really great experience for everybody we got to document it and there's little documentaries online um on youtube for all those songs um of us in the studio with all these guys because you know these days it's like for a producer to do an album project i mean it's like 
at least three months of their lives, you know, from pre-production to recording to mixing and mastering and all that shit, right? People got to be pretty selective now with the stuff they do, you know, and we were just like, here's what we want to do. And it was kind of like fast, easy, fun work for them. So the the idea was we were going to start touring in April of 2020 and every every five weeks we would drop one of these singles, which, by the way, we put them out on seven inch as well, which was great. Right. right. So um, and we'd have a cover song or something on the B side. So that was the plan. And every, every five weeks when we, we, we put out a new single that would kind of make its way into the set list. So the pandemic happened right when we were start. I guess the, the world shut down about 10 days before our tour started. Oh. So. The cool thing here, man, was like we had already had this rollout plan happening and we didn't do any press for it. We didn't we didn't tell anybody that it was going to happen. And uh, all of because of the vinyl production times, all of these records were already put in to be released and being manufactured already. So we already had everything there. So what happened was at first we were freaking out because we're like, man, the world's going to hell. And like, we're, we're, we're going to be sitting on a lot of fucking records at the end of the year, you know? Yeah. Like we gotta, we gotta move these things. Cause it's like a thousand seven inches of five different singles, you know? So <laughs> luckily they, they went well and sold out the first weekend. They went on sale every time without announcement, you know? So I think, I think what we realized was that during the pandemic, nobody could do anything. So we had everybody's attention. You know, they had time to sit down and listen to the music and digest it and go, oh, okay, I'll buy that, you know. So it happened from April 3rd that year until August 7th. Every five weeks, we'd put out a seven inch and we wouldn't tell anybody, like, there's another one coming. So people didn't know is this part of an album? What's going on? Is there another one coming out? And then it got to a point where they're like, when is this going to end? You know, <laughs> like yeah. so it ended after five. And right when the very week that that last one came out, we started our podcast, which is now as of today, 151 weeks consecutively running. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we were busy, man. Like, it's not like we didn't do anything between albums. See, that's how it'll always look on paper. You know what I'm saying? Like when yeah. you look back at the history of a band, you kind of see that, you know, but we were extremely busy and we spent a lot of 2022 on tour. We did over a hundred shows. We re-released all those singles on a 12 inch called year of the demon. It's a compilation album. So there's 10 songs on that. Um, and so we, we felt like we had to tour, do a touring cycle off of those songs before a new record came out. But the new record was written and recorded during the pandemic, and it was finished before we went out on toured on Year of the Demon. So but that's how it is, man. You have to be patient with this stuff sometimes, you know, because it's funny that for years people were asking for a new full length album. And now you're saying you released an album three months ago, right? <laughs> like what? <laughs> right. One day you'll be saying you released that album three years ago, right? One day it'll be you released that album 30 years ago. So that's what I'm saying. When time time goes fast, you, you can wait in anticipation for something for a long time. But once that moment's here, it's gone, right? right? So it's like the, the moment will come. And when it does, it's going to be good. And when it does, the timing 
everything is going to be right. I kind of see it like when, you know, like when somebody owes you money, like you really <laughs> want them to pay you. But even if they pay you a year from now, it's like, well, you're going to need it then too. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're grateful when you get it, whenever that is, you know, yeah. whenever, whenever you get it, it's a good time to get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's like the so, old, you know, when's Chinese after. democracy going to come out, you know, and now it's been out for what, 15 years. <laughs> That's kind of funny, too, because like they, you know, Guns is reunited now with Duff and Slash and like they play those songs live, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, I was too hot on that record. It wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, but I kind of think a lot of people like myself were expecting like an older Guns kind of sound, you know? Yeah. And if if it was going to be crazy and it was going to take that long. I expected it to be even weirder, like a Radiohead thing or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like something that was totally experimental, but it was so experimental that like it was genius, you know? Yeah. And it was like a, like some kind of masterpiece, right? But, but that's see, that's what sucks is like when you when you when you build that much anticipation, it puts a lot of pressure on you, right? So. I feel bad like for Axel because he was just trying to make a record, you know, he wasn't, he, you know what I mean? Like he, he was just trying to make his next album and it just took a long time. You know, there's probably a bunch of reasons for that, that we have no idea about, you know? Right. So it's, <laughs> we can't assume that he was in the studio for 10 years every day, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I highly doubt that, you know? No. Oh. Back to outsider, the, I'm a big fan of intro songs and I absolutely love prelude and how it, you know, incorporates in the melody of outsider as well. And it's kind of even a perfect like live opener, which I was expecting whenever I saw you live and it happened. So just kind of, was that written for the live experience or was it just written as a, you know, intro for the album and that's just the way it played out. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, written for an intro to the album and yeah, prelude, like in musical terms, is like a precursor to like a certain melody, right? So the song, the, the title track, Outsider, was already written. And then I thought, well, let's take some of the, let's take this riff and like slow it down and mash it up a bit, you know? And um, we used the old Jupiter 8 synthesizer that Armand has that we've used on most of our records for different things. And you know, kind of wanted to create, we wanted the tone of the intro to set the vibe of the story and the whole album. And we were kind of going for a John Carpenter-esque kind of like sound and feel. And that's exactly what we got. As a matter of fact, <laughs> there is one part in that song where like kind of near the end where it gets heavy and the, the drums kick in. Um, it's just like these pounding toms, you know, um, I wanted to get this sound effect from the movie, Christine. There's a part where, um, you've seen the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a part where Arnie, the main character is like the, the goons in the, in the story, the goons in the movie go and, uh, you know, fuck his car up pretty bad in the storage place. And he's he's all psychotic at this point, right? And he and he he goes to Christine the car, and he 
you know, he's, he's, he's all distraught over it, but then he realizes that, you know, this car is like a living, breathing thing. and has a mind of its own. And, you know, he, he just, he says that line, show me, you know, and then the, <laughs> the headlights come on. Right. And the car turns, comes to life and fixes itself. But when the headlights come on, there's a sound effect that goes, bing, <laughs> right. And I wanted that sound effect and we tried for days to get it, to recreate it. And we couldn't. So we actually just lifted it off the movie and it's in the hearts on our record. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there it is. You know, I hope is I don't that get considered sued. sampling. <laughs> yeah, I would suppose. So it's, 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 it's underneath a bunch of musical compositions. So it's not really noticeable, you know, and it doesn't tick off any algorithms, you know, so I think it's okay. But, but yeah, you know, that was the thing, you know, we just, we borrowed it. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, after the, the title track beyond the grave, you know, really jumped out at me. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, you usually write short songs. This one's a bit longer for a night demon song. Mm -hmm. Like talk about how that song came to be. Well, I always wanted a song that had a bass intro. Cause you know, as, as you know, we're only three guys and, as much as I love bands like, well, I'm, I'm really not a fan of three piece bands, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's not my favorite, but like as much as I love bands like Motorhead or ZZ Top, you know, I think we have a lot of that in our DNA, a lot of that punk rock style and a lot of the rock and roll style. But we, I and this is I, man, I hate saying this because I feel like I'm totally insulting those bands. And I'm trying not to, but I feel like bands like that are, I don't want to say one dimensional, but they're not multi-dimensional. I guess, well, I guess if you're more than one, you're multi, right? But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think of what we do as three guys, it's, it's, it's more than Motorhead, but it's less than Rush, you know? Right. And um, I like that happy medium. And I think we're always just, our innovation comes from just trying to do more musically with three guys without playing to backing tracks or anything like that. You know, I mean, I know prelude has a lot of instrumentation on it, but we all play that, you know, that's all we're playing all the instruments on that recording. Um, but beyond the grave is one of those things where I'm like, well, why, why does every song need a guitar intro? Why can't it be a bass intro? Right. And that's how it came about. And then you get to this really soft kind of verse where like, let me just do the bass by myself and sing and no other instrumentation to create those kind of dynamics. You mentioned that the song is longer than a normal Night Demon song. It is. But the thing is, when Night Demon has long songs, we it's for a reason, right? Like that song takes you, that song and like a song like the wrath those songs take you on a journey they're not repetitive you know there's yeah. there's not there's a difference between that and your traditional long metal song that's five and a half minutes plus where all they're doing is repeating verse chorus verse chorus you know what i mean or the solo is just way too long with with that song you can really hear the different directions that it takes you and that's why it needed to be that length does that make sense yeah yeah definitely this is something we spoke about in Tulsa, but on the press, you know, everything leading up to this, all your press photos and everything, including Dusty. And then 
I got to the show and that's the first time I had seen that Dusty wasn't in the band and you guys kind of announced it later. You know, if that's something you could talk about, the departure of Dusty and how that came about or why? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess it's just a simple, <clears throat> to put it in simple terms, I guess just burnout on his part, you know. Um, he had been in the band for nine years, you know, and during the pandemic, you know, I, I started living in Ireland and he moved back to Pennsylvania and Armand was in California. And I think he kind of reconnected with his family and his roots. He's from a really small town, you know, and he got a new girlfriend that he got pretty serious about too. And um, she had a pretty, she had a pretty stable life there, you know, and I just think he wasn't excited about going out on the road anymore and doing band stuff and just kind of wanted to be home. I mean, he moved away from there for a long time and spent 13 years away from there and not really seeing his family much either. So I think once he got back into that lifestyle, he kind of just realized that he had fulfilled all he wanted to do musically. So we actually, you know, kind of came to this conclusion of in April of 2022 and we didn't tell anybody. So, he honored his commitments as far as doing all the touring last year and, you know, being involved in the album because he had played on it, you know, so doing the promotional videos and photos and interviews and st stuff like that. And, um, but we had known a year prior to him not being in the band that this was going to, this is what was going to happen. But there's a lot of stuff you got to take care of that a lot of stuff don't, a lot of people don't realize, you know, I mean, there's like legal things, you know, we have a we own a corporation together. We have record contracts. We, we've got a lot of stuff involved. We have assets, you know, so it's like it's not just uh, a clean break, you know, so we needed to take care of that stuff. And the other thing is with the social media culture that we live in these days the worst thing to do is just go out there and say something like that, because that creates a ton of speculation. It's like clickbait for the media. Yeah. People start spreading false rumors, you know, and, or, you know, a lot of fans, they feel like they deserve to know, like it's their right. And as much as I want to be transparent, we want to do it our own way in our own time so we can get it out there the way that it needs to be. And so our plan was a long plan here, but it was executed very well. The Brian, the guy who replaced Dustin came on Dustin's recommendation. And he's a guy we've known for a long time. So we're all cool with Dusty, you know, like it was um, a passing of the torch, if you will. Um, and those guys have a lot of mutual respect for each other, which is really nice. Um, so he's a celebrated alumni of the band. Right. And so what we did is just, we went out on tour with a new drummer and didn't tell anybody the day our album came out. And then people just started to figure it out by looking at stuff, pictures or videos online or actually coming to the shows, you know, and another thing is Dusty got a chance to tour the world again and kind of have his last hurrah and play some really big shows. And he didn't have to field any questions from fans. Why are you leaving? Or, or this and that, right? I mean, that's tough. Oh, yeah. But he got to do it in his own way. And, you know, a lot of these people he's never going to see again in his life, you know? So he got to do it in his own way. And, and it was nice to do it that way. And I think three or four weeks ago, we put out a full hour-long podcast episode with the whole band talking about it and him talking 
talking about it, about his departure. And like the real story is out there for anybody that wants it. It told from us, from our mouths at the time that it happened. Right. So there's no speculation later on, you know, you always have the, the Sammy Hagar, Eddie Van Halen thing, right? Like I quit. No, I was fired. No, he quit. No, he was fired. You know, it's like this, we don't want to, we learn so much, man, from our heroes. We learn so much. And everything that we do business-wise with the band that we execute, we always look at what people we admire had done before, where they succeeded and where they had failed. And we, we try and use that as kind of like a blueprint. So that's the way we did what we did here. And it totally worked out. The other thing is this. We never auditioned another single drummer. So it's like, I wanted to avoid getting hundreds of applications from people and also turning down friends, you know, cause there's a lot of friends that we have that play drums too. And it's like, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and say, Oh, you're like good enough to be our, my good friend, but not good enough to be in this band. We needed a certain type of person to be in this band, you know, it, a certain type of person that has the will and the desire to give up everything to go do this and consistently do it. And somebody who we have a good dynamic with on the road and a musical chemistry. There's a lot of things involved here. So we wanted to make sure we picked the right person and not do some open casting call, you know? So we're in a really good place right now. So you mentioned that Dusty, you know, suggested or gave his blessing on Brian. Like how quick was the chemistry whenever you guys first played with Brian? Within the first day. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, he's, he, we've known him for quite a while and he, um, he's a big fan of the band. He came in really prepared and he, you know, he'd been playing with Yngwie Malmsteen for the last five years and yeah. And so he had been touring a lot on a pretty high level, but I mean, as you can imagine, like, Touring with a guy like that could probably take its toll. I'm not going to speak for him, you know, but he, <laughs> I think he wanted something that he could be a part of something that was his own and not just a, a higher gun playing for somebody, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's some slight to Ingve that could have been anybody, you know? And so um, this was the right situation for him too. So moving forward, it's like, I mean, this is your band, yours and Armand's like you're, you know, you look at Brian now as a, you know, a third contributing member to everything moving forward type thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, there's, it's tough, man, because like, you know, I started this band when I was 30 and I'm 42 now. So I've sacrificed a lot and I, my day job is, is this band, right? So yeah, I don't expect him to come in right away and be doing as much work as myself and Armand. So it's a tough thing, you know, um, without getting into all the business, you know, we basically hired him on as a hired gun, but involved him as part of the band and in promo shots and like, no, you know, not, excluding him as a band member right but with the promise of being a full-time member but you know i've i've known a lot of people in my life and i've been in a lot of situations that i thought were going to be great and then weren't 
And so we really, just to be fair to us, you know, wanted to say like, look, here's where we're going and here's where we want you to be with us. But in all fairness, like we're going to pay you a living wage. You know, we're going to pay you, you know, whatever you're getting paid with Ingve. you know, your lifestyle is not going to going to go down from playing in a less popular band or whatever, you know, and we, we will take on all the risk of whatever happens, you know, and, but, you know, we need to be, <laughs> we need to get into some sticky situations with you before we decide this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just like, it's like a marriage, right? You know, you're not just going to, if, you know, in the puppy love phase of a relationship, getting married, you know, you see how all those end, right? You got to, it takes a long time to really know somebody. And the the way you do that is by going through experiences with them and seeing how you all react together to things and respond. Right. Yeah. So far, so good. But, but that's our thing, you know, like, like we, we needed some kind of gestation period um, in order to, to know for sure, you know, that, that, that this is it, you know, so I think we're pretty much there. You've been managing uh, Satan and My- uh, Midnight and a few other bands now. Like, how did how did all that start for you? I never wanted to be a band manager. Um, <laughs> in tw- in tw- <laughs> but in 2015, I we were playing in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we were playing with the band Visigoth, and they were really good friends of ours. And they had told us like, Hey, they were all excited because they were like, Hey, we got, we're going to sign with this manager out of LA. And then we're going to sign with this booking agent on the East coast. And I was like, fuck, I know both of those people. And I'm like, that's a really bad idea. You know, (laughs) but I'm not here. I hate talking bad about people to other people because I'm sure people do that to me, you know? And it's not fair. Like, I don't think that we're, that's why I hate cancel culture because none, no, none of us, you know, human beings are so complex. You know, none of us are one thing. Nobody is just an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Th- th- we're so many different kinds of people at different points in our lives or even at different points in the day or depending on who we're interacting with. Right. So, you know, you know, you can't cancel somebody out and expect them to just go away and leave the world and go, they're right. I'm worthless. Goodbye. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't work. That's what creates um, extremist groups, to be honest with you. Um, but w- I digress. What I'm saying is there were people in business that they were enamored with, that they were about to go into business with that I knew in my heart, because I know these guys, I know both parties personally, this is not a good fit. And the band is going to suffer f- from it. They, they won't, the business people won't suffer by not picking them up, you know? So um, they said, well, why don't you manage us? And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I still manage them. So um, <laughs> from there, it just word kind of spread, you know, and um, there's long stories with Midnight and Satan and stuff, but like, um you know, word just kind of spread and you become friends with people and you start seeing their desires and seeing what they want. And they start asking, reaching out to you for help in certain ways and things just evolve. You know, um, I'm not looking to pick up any more clients. I get 
a lot of offers and I'm really happy with the crop of bands that I have. I think there's some of my favorite bands and favorite people and we're kind of like a cool gang together and every band is unique in its own way and has their own flavor to offer, you know? So um, I'm really happy with what I have and it consumes all of my time. So like, I just don't have time for anything more, even with a full-time assistant, I don't have time for nothing more. Right. So um, I just, you know, here's the thing. A lot of people get into the music business because they love music, but they've, they were never, they, a lot of people claim, they were never able to do it but really i think they just never really tried or some did try you know but they that they want to be managers or agents or have a label and all this and the reality for me i think what makes me a great band manager is i'm the guy out there doing it every day so i know full well everything that these people are going through i know what they expect you know and i know I know what's going to make them happy at the end of the day and the situations not to put them in. Once you know what not to do, you're always going to know what to do. Right. So it's easy for someone sitting behind a desk to call the shots and then collect the check, you know, while the band goes out there and does all the work, you know, not all the work, but the majority of the work, the heart, it's the blue collar work. I like to call it, you know? So, for me, it's like, you know, if an agent fucks up on booking a tour, I can easily book a tour for a band because I know all the promoters. I know the agents know them too. And the agents have leverage because they have big bands that they can leverage against promoters. But I have a personal relationship with these people. I've stayed at their houses. I've played for them. I've drank at the bar with them. Right. So I've got a lot of connections to what is actually happening on a ground level. And it's so much better for me to say, hey, this is the proper routing. I know it's possible for this band to make this drive in distance and in time. But after eight shows in a row, that's going to break them. Or I know that drive. I know that road. It's tough. Or the weather this time of the year. It's not going to be good. Things like this, logistical things um, fall into my lap. And I'm pretty good at dealing with them. So, um you know, it is what it is. I I've, I fell into it because I felt like these bands were so great. They needed somebody like me to help them succeed. And um, that's all it is. If I didn't care about these bands, I wouldn't do it for the money. Is it difficult to put, you know, your full energy into each band as well as focus on Night Demon full time? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, for every that you spend time on there's something else you're not spending time on what i my approach is just balance i spend a little bit of time every day on each band and that accumulates to a whole lot of work some managers won't talk won't touch a band for a month and then find out on a friday when their car breaks down and their mother-in-law is coming in town that they have eight hours of work to do for a band you know <laughs> I prepare well ahead of time and I'm always working on the future. You know, I have a band on tour right now and I'm working on a tour right now, like advancing for a tour that's three tours ahead of this tour. So, you know, there's always day to day stuff, but you just have to do it that way. You know, you 
time blocking is the best thing. You know, like I blocked out this time for this interview with you. And when we're done, I've got time blocked out to do something very specific. You know, the thing is I get flooded with emails and I just have to prioritize it and not get distracted because emails are just, it's emails are someone else's wish list. You know what I'm saying? It's somebody else's they're all they are are requests for your time, you know? So my motto is you can't do everything. There's not enough time to do everything, but there's always time to do the important things. So you just got to figure out what those things are. Sometimes I tell myself because I tour a lot too, right? Is like, if I like to wake up when I start my day and I say, if I would, if I had to leave tomorrow for 30 days and I could only do one thing today, what would that be? And I write it down and then I go down the list when that's accomplished. Okay. What's the next thing, you know? And that keeps me really, really prioritized on the things that are really going to matter. Cause I used to try and be a perfectionist and I realized, man, I just can't not get it all done. I can't. So there's some things that are going to have to suffer, but you find at the end of the day that there are things that didn't really matter anyway. On a night demon note, you guys recently announced that you're going to do this tour with Michael Schenker later in the year. This is now, I guess the second old school Scorpions guitarist that you guys have got to do shows with like, Talk about what that means to you, because I know you're a big fan. Man, I am just fucking stoked. I um, he has been like my number one guitar hero. Um, my dad was in a band with Michael Anthony from Van Halen, so Eddie was like my first guitar hero. But I I discovered Shanker at a really young age, and um, you know I was going to see him in concert a lot when I was a kid, and I've I've promoted his shows throughout the years. And I've gone to see him a lot. I've written reviews for magazines uh, about some of his gigs. And I don't know, man, I'm just like really stoked to go out and do this. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I actually have a picture, an eight by 10 photo of he and I, when I was 15 years old, that I'm going to bring for him to sign. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's just another bucket list thing. You know, it's another thing to cross off the list, but, but for Night Demon, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Um, we're playing a lot of bigger venues in the UK. And in the UK, we've never been able to really break through. We've been a staple in the traditional heavy metal scene, but heavy metal is dead in the UK. It's more dead in the UK than it is in the US, you know? It's not dead in the US, but you know what I mean in, ter in underground terms, right? So um, UK popular metal is all a very extreme metal or there's a big resurgence of new metal and pop punk there right now. So like, that's what Kerrang is writing about these days, like some 41 and limp biscuit, not iron maiden, you know? Okay. So, um, the, the cool thing about this is like, you know, in all the Night Demon albums, there's at least a couple songs that are more in the hard rock vein than like, a speed metal vein or a thrash metal vein or a traditional heavy metal vein, you know? So we're crafting a set list now that really shows our diversity as a band. So we're going to be playing in front of large audiences of an older crowd that doesn't really know who we are. And we're going to be able to expose ourselves to them uh, musically <laughs> that, that got close uh, musically in a hard rock manner where we're playing night demon songs. Songs, but you know 
we have a set list full of songs now that would really fit into, you know, an MSG or UFO type of arena. So that's something that's really cool is we, we can show again, kind of what I was talking to er, talking about earlier, we can show how multidimensional we are while still being ourselves, right? Picking songs from our catalog and not having to create something to try and fit in. So I think that's what's really cool. And that, and I'm really looking forward to testing those waters. I mean, is the thought of playing in trance there at all or no? <laughs> no, we retired that song okay. when, when Uli played it with us, you know? Okay. Um, we You can't top that, man. Like, we, we, uh, the, we'll play it again if Uli comes on stage and plays it with us, you know? But yeah, the fact point. that we recorded a live show with him playing with the band, like... I would like to let it live, let it live and die there in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think uh, it's going to be all originals on this, on this run. Yeah. My first introduction to Shanker when I was a kid, I think was the Macaulay Shanker stuff. Cause you know, it was just on the radio, you know, when yeah. I was like 12, 13 and you know, I'm just a huge fan of that whole era. And I know a lot of diehard Shanker fans kind of pass over that cause it was a little more glossy and, you know, maybe radio friendly, but I don't know. Okay. I just kind of always go back to that stuff. Here is that's so glad you said that. <laughs> Here is I can relate to you. My my first intro to Shanker was the song Save Yourself. Okay. Right? From that era. And then the self-titled album that they did, which was the last album that they did, is phenomenal. I must have listened to that thing a thousand times. That's what his guitar playing on that is fucking intense. And the coolest thing is that this run of shows we're doing with an MSG, Robin McCauley's singing. Oh, wow. Like, is it the the only uh, singer or is it like it's not the Michael Shanker Fest thing where it's got all the singers? Okay. No, he's a singer. So I'm sure we'll hear Save Yourself and stuff like that, you know. Um, I absolutely love that era. I know it's a little more hair metal and that's why people might not like it as much, but I like all eras of his band, to be honest, you know, I really do. And they all have their time in place. So to be able to play with him and see a show where he's going to be covering his whole career in a way, I mean, that's great. Again, diversity is fucking good, man. You know, have you had the chance to ever meet Robin McCauley? I met him once. Okay. I met him in Germany in October of 2019, 2019 or 2018 um, when they were doing Michael Shanker Fest. Um, so, yeah, I met him and Doogie White and I met um, Gary Barden. I met Michael. Me and Michael have met many times, but he doesn't remember any of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's OK, you know. That's okay. I remember them all, you know, <laughs> I get, now I get to share the stage with him, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I'm pumped, man. Like, it's just one of these things. I just really want to enjoy this, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I just asked that cause I've had Robin McCauley on the podcast like four times now. And he's like easily one of the nicest people I've ever talked to. Man. How cool is that? Yeah. He's so cool. You know, that's cool. I did not know that I'll have to go back and listen to those episodes. Um, 
But yeah, he actually lives pretty close to me in California and he gave me his business card and everything. And uh, he was telling me he was doing uh, raiding the rock vault show in Vegas, you know, Um, he's a phenomenal vocalist. I mean, he's, he's gotta be my favorite in of, of them all with the Shanker stuff. Obviously there's some people, you know, Graham Bonnet and um, Gary Barden, you know, they were on some classic songs and they have their place there but pound for pound like vocal ability it's robin mccauley all the way for me yeah yeah same here yeah well, you guys awesome and i'm too right thing what is he like 70 now you yeah know? i think i mean yeah he's right he's around that he might be early 70s now that's crazy i mean he's just such yeah. a great still yeah well you kind of you know early on mentioned you know playing in japan and europe and obviously Ireland, everywhere, you know, you guys have hit across the world in the past many years. Is there anywhere that you've kind of been surprised to find support for Night Demon coming from? Yeah. And you know what? I never noticed it more than on this last U.S. tour. It's (laughs) like I am more inclined these days when we do any headlining shows to stay out of the major cities to be honest with you, like yeah. I find that places like LA, New York, not so much Chicago. Chicago's a really, really good blue collar town, but LA, New York, London, Paris. Um, we actually do pretty good in Berlin. Um, Tokyo's good. I find that logistically, they're expensive and they're a real pain in the ass for us to do. They have radius clauses that keep us out of the outerlying areas. They have the lowest turnouts of the tour. They have the less least enthusiasm from the audience. That's probably because they're spoiled and get to see gigs all the time, you know? Yeah. So I don't really blame them for that. And they're always underplays. They're like in this, the smallest venues, you know? imaginable in a, in the cities that have the most people. So I find I, I, I really enjoy playing in the outer lying cities. There's bigger turnouts. There's a way better vibe. People are way more stoked to be there and everything just works out better. So I would rather play three neighboring cities outside of a big metropolitan area than just play in that area. If we're supporting a band, I'll go anywhere, you know, anywhere the tour goes, I get it, you know, but as far as headlining stuff, you know, it's all about the, the smaller markets. They're just, they just mean it more, you know, and they're happy to, they're just so much happier to be there and like makes us happy to be there. You know? I mean, you're kind of in tune with a lot of, you know, metal these days from, you know, being a manager, being out there touring and everything. Is there anything new that you've heard in 2023 or maybe even last year that you're really digging? Yeah. There's a band called blood star out of salt Lake. They're pretty awesome. Uh, there's a band called amethyst out of Zurich, Switzerland. They're a great old school band to listen to early moods out of LA. They're cool. Doomy style band. Um, those are the three off the top in my head um, okay but yeah i'm pretty much just involved in what i'm doing <laughs> i'm yeah. really bad 
do stuff, you know. Well, but every now all your time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, every now and again something catches your ear, but usually for me it's like when I see a band, you know, and when we're playing out on tour, playing festivals, that's usually when that happens. Okay. And I got to get a shout out to a Blind Oath out of Tulsa. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love those guys and you. Yeah, we've done some shows with them, and they're kind of the they're the reason that started our whole Tulsa connection. I mean, we knew we knew uh, Justin Poole. We grew up with him, but we never went out there to see him or anything, you know. Like until those guys from Blind Oath started bringing us to town, you know. So, oh, that's um, right, Mitch. Uh, Mitchell brought you to uh, Sound Pony first, right? Right, and then we did yeah. the Downtown Lounge, and then Vanguard um and canes you know so yeah yeah we've tulsa's a great place for us man it's one like and i would consider it a smaller town even though it's not it just has it's got a home hometown vibe at least you know and like those are the kind of places that we really want to be yeah yeah the downtown vibe in tulsa is definitely way better than it was a decade ago or so so <laughs> Yeah, man, it's just such a cool, like, it's a hip happening area, but there's still enough real people down there. That's what I really enjoy about it, you know? And now, I'm every time I go, I'm starting to see a lot more tourism there, which is really nice to see, you know? It, it keeps everybody on their toes, I think, you know? Like, people that own businesses and shit like that, because things sometimes get too localized and people just stop caring, you know? So, it's all always good when you have people from out of town coming into town for events and stuff like that and to see what it's all about and realize like what a cool place it is because being from california you think of like oklahoma as just like what the fuck right, right. like why would i ever go and the thing is the majority of my touring years leading up to 2015 2016 it would we would only go to oklahoma city which is a horrible place for gigs yeah and the the city is just very it's not i don't care for it personally you know but it's just there's no there's not a real underground gig culture there you know so a lot of people get turned off because they 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 have the Oklahoma City experience, right? And it's like I think Tulsa's starting to get put on the map. I mean, it, it was always there in some way, but for our genre, it's starting to really get there, and I'm really happy to see that. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I mean, throughout you know my life living here, it's like Oklahoma City's always drawn more of the metal shows than Tulsa has. But like you said, the scene it's just kind of a dull. <laughs> there's no life or energy to it. It seems like compared to a show in Tulsa to me, at least I'm just probably biased, but well, I'll tell you this though. Numbers, <laughs> I'm talking numbers, Tulsa wise numbers are better than Oklahoma city. And oh, I've okay. seen it a month with bands I've had on tour out there. So I know that to be a fact, you know, a final question for you. And I'll cut this out if you don't want it on a night demon podcast, <laughs> but I recently came across the Jeff Hershey and the heartbeats. <laughs> yeah is that something you ever speak about or like what was that was that yeah. you know something uh, i mean I is that a style of music you were into as well as metal growing up or how did that come about no really. i hated that kind of music when i grew up you know okay. um i but the thing is this like i started that in like 2008 and at that period in time i was so burnt out on metal because 
whatever was happening at the time, it was just so watered down, you know, like it was just, it was all new metal and what people considered the, what they called at the time, the new wave of American heavy metal, which was bands like, see, I don't even want to name them because like <laughs> I have, a re I have respects for a lot of these bands, but I, I just didn't like, it didn't do anything for me, you know, it, it was like, and the, you know, the guitar solo was pretty much dead. <laughs> and I, the internet wasn't then what it is now. And so, you know, I just thought to myself, like, man, I just want to go back to roots music. Like, where did it all start? Because people knew how to play. They knew how to sing. They knew how to dance. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to do, you know, and that's exactly what I did. So, um, you know, the first stuff I did, the first EP I did was way more rockabilly. And I had Brent Harding from Social Distortion playing on that record with me. And then I, I was doing more like doo-wop stuff where I would record all the vocals, like if it was a singing group. And then I was putting out 45s and stuff. And then I did a soul album. I was touring a lot and touring in Europe and stuff and doing these high energy shows. And then I did a punk covers EP. So, yeah, I just needed to do that. And when I came back to metal and started Night Demon, having that experience playing that stuff made me way better at metal. Because I wasn't in metal, I grew up in the school of Metallica, and that's kind of all I knew, you know, as far as playing wise. But once I got, once I started playing roots music, I was just well, way more versed in melody and how to knowing every note in a chord, you know, and and really just knowing how to how to craft songs a lot better. So it really helped helped me a lot. Um, yeah, no regrets. But it that band for me was an alter ego. It wasn't really, and uh, the press really wanted me to be that guy twenty four seven, and I got really tired of that. You know, yeah, it was an act. It was a show that I put on. You know, it wasn't me at the core. You know, so um, I had to be more me, and that's the birth of Night Demon. You know, well, how quickly was the transition between the two projects? Was it? I retired or was it immediately it was slow I started Night Demon in 2011 and I retired that band in 2014 oh okay so I was so there, doing there was a period was, where you're doing both yeah I was doing both at one point yeah which so was really you, good for people <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the old yeah the Hank Williams or the Hank three thing you know where you do the country and the metal at the show but <laughs> do it all in one gig yeah you, you know <laughs> I mean, I would be like multiple tours, just switching back and forth, you know. Did he? Yeah, he he just did it all in one show. He'd have the country <laughs> set, the 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 blues set, and then the like the metal set or something, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But did it revitalize you as far as like you said in that kind of time period? You weren't into the metal that was out there, did it? When you came back and Night Demon went into full swing, did it kind of revitalize your love for? Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Because yeah. I was, yeah, I was playing the style of metal that I wanted to play, and people actually wanted to hear it. You know, I started Night Demon for fun while I was doing the heartbeats because I didn't think anybody wanted to hear it. And once people heard it, and we were getting festival offers and label offers and stuff, I shocked the shit out of me. And <laughs> I, I was like, really? And then at that point, I said, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I was like, I said, I was thirty years old, and I said, this is normally, you know, every 
90% of the people that around me that I grew up playing music with was quitting music at that age because they hadn't had any success doing it or they hadn't had the success they wanted doing it. And they were just giving up on it and starting families and trying to get a quote unquote real job. And I just, that the thought of that just, it just turned me off, you know, and, and I, I started to get pretty depressed about things. And so I just said, well, I, there's two, I could go that route or I could go for broke. And, you know, I was homeless for a little while and, um, you know, I don't know. I, I knew that people might've judged me for it, but I, I knew that it, I owed it to myself to really try and put everything I had into it. And so that's what I did. And, you know, here we sit today. So, um, and I'm still working on it, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> but I just realized how short life was, you know, and it could really go at any moment. And like the, the only security that I really had was in myself. It wasn't in any other job that I had. And I thought I had it in certain jobs at that point. And those companies are now defunct. So, you know, who knows, right? Right. Um, yeah. I feel like I should have done it sooner, but in hindsight, the timing was right. And I'm glad I didn't do it any later. Right on, man. I appreciate you taking this time out with me today. It's always great to talk to you. I'm absolutely loving Outsider. Looking forward to seeing you guys live again soon. Thank you, Trent. That's fucking awesome, man. It's great to talk to you again. And we can do this anytime you want, man. Right on. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sooner because last time, I mean, it's been it's pre-pandemic, I think, last time we did a podcast. So, Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm always around. There you go. Jarvis Leatherby of Night Demon. A huge thank you to Jarvis for taking some time out there to give me a call and talk about everything you just heard. Like I mentioned earlier, if you have not heard or if you have not gotten the album Outsider from Night Demon yet that came out few months ago you need to get it now it is excellent so much great stuff you heard there can't wait to see night demon live again if you have not seen him live that's another thing you definitely need to do all right if this is your first time listening i greatly appreciate it like i mentioned many times night demon's been on here several times before like i said earlier haunt has been on here a couple of times if you like old school thrash, guys from Testament, Alex Skolnick has been on here from Testament. Dave Elfson from Megadeth has been on here a couple of times, as well as James Lomenzo and Chris Broderick. Megadeth, Black Level Society, Act of Defiance, Nethermore. Hell, uh, Chris Broderick's in In Flames now. James Lomenzo was in John Fogarty. Lots of guys from Megadeth have been on here is what I'm trying to say. Toxic Holocaust, Death Angel, Battlecross. I know I'm forgetting some thrash bands, but guys from bands like Corrosion Conformity, Prong, White Zombie, Typo Negative, Helmet, Death Bleppard, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, Dio, Whitesnake, Winger, Warrant, Motley Crue. The list is long, people. Check it out. 379 previous episodes. Just recently, like I said, Dime Store Ride, a brand new band out of Tulsa was on here. I said Jason came back last week, and we had to talk about a lot of new music and some concerts. Phil Lewis from LA Guns was on here recently. Dean Castronovo from Journey not too long ago. Terry Ilu from Great White and XYZ. Greg Upchurch of Three Doors Down was on here a couple months ago. 
Man, Robin McCauley had been on here a few times. Justin Foley and Mike D of Killswitch Engage have both been on here. Josie Scott, the original voice of Saliva, has been on here. Jeff Tate, the original voice of Queensryche, has been on here. D. Snyder of Twisted Sister, Shooter Jennings, Frank Cannon of Tesla many times, Damon Johnson of Brother Kane and Leonard Skinner many times. The list is long. Check it all out. TheThunderUnderground.com. Wherever you're listening right now, follow, like, or subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Hey, I'm on threads now, too. Haven't posted anything on there, but figured, hey, got to join the masses, right? And join that thing. TikTok, same thing. So, anyway, follow on all those future episodes. We've got an episode coming up with Peter Summit of Crashing Wayward. He's going to return to the podcast to talk about their great new album. Also, Chris McLernan, the bass player of Saigon Kick, has a new band called Canel. I think I'm saying that right. If I'm not, by the time he's on this podcast, I will be pronouncing it right. I promise you that. All right, once again, a huge thank you to Jarvis Leatherby of Night Demon, Sunset Tattoo, DEB Concerts, and until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.